Heart takes, not hot takes. This is Everyone is Wrong, a counterintuitive pop culture podcast. I'm your host, Seth Sommerfeld. Thanks for listening. My guest today is a film festival PR pro, the world's biggest Girl Friday fan, the band, not the movie, and conveniently someone who would be most aesthetically at home if all of his apartment was lit via neon signs. He is here today to drink the blood of the cynics and defend Nicholas Winding Refn's The Neon Demon. Everyone is wrong, but Jason Baxter isn't. Thanks for coming on again, Jason. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, I'm happy to be a repeat guest. Yes. Uh, you have the most ideas whenever I throw things out. And there's lots of people that are like, oh, hmm, let me think. And Jason's like, here's one idea. Here's another. Here's another. Here's another. I don't know if this one will work. Here's another. Uh, so Jason is uh, quote unquote a regular now. I have many controversial opinions. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So we are here today to talk about neon, the Neon Demon. Mm-hmm. So let's get into the background of the Neon Demon. Yes. Let us sink our teeth in, so to speak. The Neon Demon is a 2016 psychological horror film directed and co-written by Nicholas Winding Refn about the world of female modeling in Los Angeles. It is Winding Refn's second film after the stateside success of 2011's Drive, with the similarly disliked Only God Forgives sandwich between the two. It is co-written by Mary Laws and Polly Steinem, with Natasha Breyer handling cinematography and a score by Cliff Martinez. The film stars Elle Fanning as Jessie, a small-town 16-year-old beauty who comes to the big city to try to make it in the modeling world. She soon falls in with a crew consisting of Jenna Malone's Ruby, a makeup artist, and two veteran models, Bella Heathcote's Gigi and Abby Lee's Sarah. Jessie also develops a relationship with an aspiring photographer, Dean, played by Carl Glussman. Jessie lives in a beat-down motel, with the manager being played by Keanu Reeves. She becomes an instant sensation in the modeling world, leading to loads of jealousy, and then wild shit starts to happen. I give this warning with pretty much every movie where it this podcast will make a lot more sense if you've watched it, but this one being a lesser seen movie that takes some weird turns, spoiler alert throughout this. Oh, thank you for doing that already, because I was going to do the same. (laughs) Yeah, the third act, uh, you, if you're interested in seeing the movie, watch it before we talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The film premiered at the Cannes Film Festival and then was released on June 24th, 2016, stateside. It was not a hit at the box office, only grossing $3 million, but also it was only a $7 million budget for the movie. No, I, I believe it was it was, it was was booed at Cannes, and, and there were a lot of walkouts and stuff. Right. That's I'm always a little dubious of that because it seems like every other movie at Cannes, either half the crowd walked out or there was like a 50-minute standing ovation. Right, which is funny because that's like uh, six years ago, right? Like Drive opened at Cannes. And Uh, only God Forgives also got where a ton of people walked out and people were booing. And 
I don't know. It just seems no. I'll I'll get, I'll get into only God forgives. Right. But yeah, Cannes is a weird place, and also I I'm always dubious a little bit of reports from Cannes. Less for the walkouts, I believe those, but when they talk about standing ovations, because it's always like this movie received like a 20 minute standing ovation. Do you understand how long it is to do a standing (laughs) ovation for one minute? Have you ever been like, I've gone to the ballet before. I used to go to Pacific Northwest ballet frequently and their ovations are ridiculous. And it's like, it's like two or three minutes. And it's like, oh my gosh, we're still clapping. But and my legs are tired. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I've got you. Um. We are getting a little off track. So the film has a rotten rating on Rotten Tomatoes with 59% positive reviews, only 46% among top critics, with an audience score of 51%. And I should start by saying this is maybe one of the most polarizing movies at least recently that's come up people either love this movie or more of them hate this movie just for a super small sample size on letterboxd among my friends i have six people that have seen this movie three of them give it a five star review and the other three are all under two and a half star reviews and that's kind of how I weirdly am kind of in the middle of that, but we'll get to that a little bit later. So let's dive okay, in. Sure. Let's sure. dive in first to the bad reviews. Frequent mentioned reviewer on the show, Peter Travers of Rolling Stone said, oh, <laughs> quote, I'd talk about the acting, but I never saw the cast doing any. It's all posing. Even the sex and violence have lost their allure. And every take oh, is drawn out with such excruciating precision that you want to scream. Refin seems to be saying the beauty business is superficial and needs to be avoided. Ditto to this movie. Or ditto this movie. Peter, what the <laughs> fuck? That's the whole point. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, Rex Reed at The Observer started his review saying, I'd like to tell you how dumbfoundingly awful the Neon Demon is, but I know when to give up. Derisive adjectives lose impact in trying to describe this latest insanity from pretentious Danish director Nicholas Winding Refn. James Bertinelli at Real Reviews wrote, The Neon Demon isn't only the title of this film, it's a description of what it represents. Beneath the pulsating music and strobe-lit fluorescent visuals, this is as pernicious and invidious emotion picture as one is likely to discover in a cineplex director nicholas winding refn might consider this quote a horror movie but it requires only the addition of two small words for accuracy quote a horror of a movie jesus <laughs> adding <Wow>. he, he <laughs> james went on to add For the Neon Demon to work, it is necessary to buy into Jesse's, quote, it quality. But Refn never allows us to observe the arresting characteristic that memorizes everyone who meets her. Elle Fanning is attractive and talented enough, although the filmmaker does his best to obscure the latter quality. But there is nothing remarkable about Jesse. She is pretty but ordinary. 
That sounds like a fault on the part of the uh, reviewer who does not think Elle Fanning is attractive. Right. The uh, <laughs> one line of criticism is sort of from a feminist critique and Amy Nicholson at MTV yeah. wrote about yeah. that. The neon demon is a Fox feminist thriller about the modeling meat factory that makes you wonder if writer Nicholas finding Refn has ever met a real girl. His movies haven't. He writes innocent angels or doomed tramps. And sometimes the angels die too. Amy added an all female cast just gives him more ways to get women wrong. Here, women are so vain, they wear tight leather skirts to work in the mortuary. They never smile when they speak. They're either predatory lesbians or competitive and hostile. Similarly, along those lines, the Alliance of Women Film Journalists put Vining Refn and Elle Fanning into their 2017 Hall of Shame for this movie, which is Kind of funny because they also awarded Casey Affleck best actor that year. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah, no, we'll get into it when yeah. we get to my points. Yeah. First, I have to do the good. There are people that like this movie. We have to get the balance. So the on the good side, it was up for Palme d'Or at Cannes, and Cliff Martinez won Best Composer Award at the festival. The acclaimed French, yeah, the acclaimed French movie magazine Cashiers du Cinema named it as the third best film of the year. And the Danes, Winding Refn's own, love this film. It won the Danish Film Awards Roberts, which are the equivalent for Oscars. It won for best cinematography, best original score, best sound, best makeup, and best visual effects. And it was also nominated for best film. Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, Best Actor, Best Editing, and Best Song. So that's that's a lot from the Danes. The Danes are very on board with the Neon Demon. There's a handful of reviewers that kind of took the path of, I'm not sure I like this movie, but Nicholas Winding Refn is doing what he wants. And these are a couple of those. K. Austin Collins at The Ringer wrote, The Neon Demon is Refn's best movie, or at least the one that best matches his style to his subject. But if it succeeds, it does so because of the talent, but despite the intentions of the guy who made it. That's fashion? Richard Lawson, reviewing for Vanity Fair from Cannes, wrote, Maybe Refn dedicating the movie to his wife at the end and saying in interviews that he was inspired to make the film by his teenage daughter is the film's sick, ironic joke. I don't necessarily trust the neon demon and am uncertain if it's a force for good in the world, but it's slow burn glam sleaze builds gradually to a payoff. That's as memorable as anything I've seen at cans, which has to count for something. So to me, that's like a real weird, like Fox news reading. Right. Um, and I've listened to the commentary, which I won't try and cite too much because that seems like a cheat code. But it's him and Elle Fanning talking about the making of the movie. And he seems like much less of a creep than he does in like interviews about the movie. 
it it turns out that like his wife was a lot more involved in decisions around the film than I th- thought, and he was in like deep conversations with L. Fanning, who we have to say was like sixteen at the time that the movie was made. And then there are a handful of just straight up rave reviews, people giving this five stars and things of that nature. NPR's Scott Tobias wrote, Ravishingly photographed by Natasha Brer, the neon demon pulsates and glows in brilliant primary colors, like watching a 3D movie, but without the need for glasses. From the opening shot of Fanning posing in a macabre scene with throat slashed and blood forming a reflective pool against the light, Refn offers the film as a provocative art object pitched somewhere between the museum and the grindhouse. Flavorwire's Jason Bailey wrote, There's never a moment in The Neon Demon that feels like Refn didn't get exactly what he wanted. The falseness of the interactions makes sense within the fashion world's confines of vapidity and goes double for the cold aesthetics of his staging, which extends the self-consciousness of photo shoots to the world outside them. Bailey continues, adding, The film reaches its apex in the apeshit bananas Argento meets Meyer meets Showgirls finale half hour, which is full of moments and indulgences which make you think, quote, oh, he won't, and then you realize, yes, he sure will. Yet this viewer can't help but admire how deliriously over-the-top, tasteless, and off-putting the last section is. It's the logical extension of what comes before, which tells you a lot about what comes before. Movies like The Neon Demon laugh in the face of conventional criticism. You can take apart the anesthetic dialogue and overwrought approach and carnival freak conclusion and the film will nod and give you an improv style yes end i suspect most audiences will hate it but it's hard to feel bad for them this far in it's difficult to sympathize with anyone who buys a ticket for a nicholas winding refn movie and doesn't know what they're in for so jason why is everyone wrong about the neon demon that's a great question um i mean this is a controversial director i think it's one of his most controversial films I know I've had disagreements with close friends of mine about it, but I think it's actually brilliant and one of his best movies. Top top three or five. And just for just for reference, what are your top what's your Nicholas Winding Refn power ranking? Pusher two is number one, always. Okay. Um, Drive is probably number two. He's got such a tricky filmography. Um, what's your threes? Maybe three. So, what's your first point of defense in favor of the Neon Demon? So, I saw this movie for the first time at an advanced screening, where I I left with a friend of mine, uh, and there was someone I assume from Amazon, like taking comments and I was like I loved it gave her like two thumbs up uh and my friend was like "Mm, yeah no we should say that it's an it's an Amazon production which is why somebody from Amazon it is yes yeah 
And then I saw it like maybe like three or four weeks later with a couple friends of ours. And that reaction was very hostile. <laughs> and I ended up in like a day long uh, Facebook comment debate with them about the movie. Yeah. So uh, one of the biggest complaints my friend had was that it was like uh, anti-feminist to which I'd point out that um, Nicholas Winding Refn went out of his way to hire a female DP, which is to say director of photography, and two women who were like playwriters to write the script for this movie. And I think that's awesome. I think it's informative that Winding Refn was listening to his female collaborators. Right. So the point in favor of the crew is that a lot of the criticisms of this film kind of come from a feminist perspective. And while I think there's basis in most of those critiques on its face, you do also have to factor in most of the criticisms are presented in a way that it's just one man's view of this. Yes, and exactly. Not giving any agency to any of the female crew and writers and performers. Precisely. So then transitioning from the crew to the director himself, your second point of support for this is the actual direction in the film and what things that Winding Refn does here really kind of grasp you in that sense. It's it's as visually arresting as any of his other films, if not more so. But, like, it looks amazing. And he's a very good director. I could go on a tangent now, if you want me to. Sure. Go, go, go on to the tangent about uh, his general directing and what okay, good, aspects good. you I like will. of it. I, I absolutely fucking will. So he's a weird guy. So he starts out, he's like a film student. He's like 23 years old and he makes a movie called Pusher. It's interesting. It's a, it's like a street level crime movie that features Mads Mikkelsen. Not in a major role, but he's in it. And then he makes a movie called Bleeder that I can't recommend to anyone at all. But it does star his wife, uh, who goes on to be in most of the rest of his movies. And based on the strength of that, he actually gets a, a, a U.S. movie called Fear X with John Turturro, which I actually liked, but apparently was a huge flop. I think it they just sank too much money into it or whatever. So he's like broke at this point. So he has to go back to Denmark and he makes like some episodes of like Miss Marple and shit, but makes pusher sequels. And those are like really good. And then that leads into uh, Bronson, which you've probably seen. Right. Yeah. And with, then uh, with Tom Hardy. Yep. And then Bronson leads into Drive. And then he kind of blows up with Drive. Everybody's like, this is so stylish. This is so yes. it's catching Gosling at kind of the point where 
he was known, but now this is like the star making performance of Gosling that's not that doesn't feel like tiny and small, even though it's not a big movie. It just feel it's got that sheen. So he makes a drive and then it goes to Only God Forgives, which is another Gosling thing that basically nobody likes. Yeah. And then it comes around to the Neon Demon. And he's very as a lot of the Neon Demon criticisms are is that he is such a stylish director and it borders on the level of pretension. And this is him doing style to the absolute max. And then, you know, there are plenty of interesting direction choices that combine with uh, some of the look that we'll talk about later. But uh, what, what directing choices or segments do you really pop for you in Neon Demon? Great question. Um, I don't know. I think he's like kind of like flying on all, you know, possible uh, fields or whatever. Um, Flicking on all cylinders. Yes, exactly. I won't cite the commentary too much. The whole cylinder thing like was finally unlocked for me, which was interesting. Um, For those who haven't seen it, when you say the cylinder thing, you mean... There's like a triangle when she's doing her first runway walk and it's like a looks kind of like the Triforce. Yeah. It's like a big thing. Um, And apparently it's supposed to represent like the womb. So it's sort of like a rebirth. Yeah. The neon demon is being born and also explains like the weird scene with uh, Jenna Malone later in the movie. Yeah, I mean, like, a movie shouldn't have to have a director's commentary to explain, like, the uh, really obtuse scenes. But this is one of those movies. I don't know. Right. It's very... It's directed as almost more of an art piece than a traditional movie in some ways. Like, I very much... One of the thoughts I had when watching it was there's a certain coldness and stuff that works, but it almost... I think you could make a cut of this movie that could work as a silent film Mm. because there's so there's so little dialogue and there's so much style that like this could be shown at like on the wall of an art gallery and it would like make sense as like, oh, this is a visual art film as opposed to we're showing a movie on there. Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 So yeah, yeah. <laughs> you should see his uh, his show, his HBO show. It's or Amazon show rather. It is psycho, right? And yeah, it's. I, I also saw one quote where he was talking about this being sort of an adult fairy tale, and when you kind of think of it in that terms, it sort of makes sense with some of the craziness that happens later. If you're like. Here's the little girl fairy tale girl making it. And then here's monsters that come and ruin it. And there's supposed to be some moral at the end, you know, speaking about how it could be basically an art piece if presented that way and you wouldn't flinch. I believe your third defense for the neon demon is the general look of it. Yes. 
So shot by Natasha Bauer, who I believe was a, like the first female cinematographer that Whitney Reffin had worked with. Um, but it looks gorgeous. Like it's a really good looking movie. Of the criticisms, it's hard to take anybody seriously that doesn't like the look of the movie. Because most of the criticisms, if there are ones, is it's just like they're staying in these pretty shots too much, which is not the best criticism. Yeah. (laughs) When that's the goal to stay in these shots a long time. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't give a shit about that. And yeah, well, I mean, I'll get to it later, but like, I think the way the movie is shot is like part of the point of the movie. Right. In general speaking, the movie is super, it's almost always either overlit or neon lit. Yes. Uh, Just, yep. Yep. And then there's just a ton of very arresting shots, be it when Jesse is on the photo shoot and it's just a pure white background with nothing around. Oh, sure. It looks like she's almost floating. There's a scene where the group of girls goes to a party and it's all nightmarish red strobe lights. There's, yep. There's a scene where she passes out and like flowers fall to her Mm -hmm. in very, Mm -hmm. there's Mm -hmm. lots of these things are very much shot to get a shot. There's a scene where she's has her hand against the wall, listening to what's going on in the next room and it's, pulling back and it's just the shadow you see of Jesse flowing. And also another thing that another thing that stuck out to me is one of the very first scenes you see in Jesse in the motel, it's her in like natural light. And it's like the only time it's like before she has her modeling contract, it's just kind of her first day seemingly. And it's all this soft natural light. And even as soon as she comes back the next time, there's a fluorescent light over her bed that yep. she keeps and everything after that. It's it's the light is used to tell the the lighting and things are used to tell the progression of the, the story. Yeah, the totally. Yeah. yeah. No. Are there, are there any other sequences that stick out to you as favorites? Uh, no, you you nailed it. OK, it's it's a baseline. That's why I'm kind of in the middle with the review is. Some of the things that people have issue with, I also have issue with. But I think the floor of just how this movie looks elevates it to a certain level that it's silly to be like, this is a one-star movie. Cause okay, I, wa- I want to know more about this. Is this too soon? Uh, let's get let's get to it in a, let's get to it in a minute. We'll we'll dive into the okay, things that okay. I personally have issue with, but some of them come up in your fourth point, which is the themes that the movie is playing on and mm-hmm. what is happening. So why don't you dive into your thematic breakdown of the neon demon? Okay. Well, I think the neon demon is, it was at least misunderstood by the friends I took to see the movie. They were very offended by the uh, idea of like women on women violence should we get to what actually happened should we get to the spoiler part sure yeah let's okay 
I feel like that probably sets up the thematic thing. So everything's pretty much playing out as just like a weird, like kind of cold stylized version of the modeling world and a girl kind of taking, becoming a star and getting the ego that that star takes. And then in the third act, it turns into, it's really not like it's a psychological horror movie is the categorization of it, but it's not until the third act, probably the final like 30 minutes of the movie. And then what happens is let's see Keanu Reeves in maybe a dream sequence, maybe not. It's not exactly sure. Comes into oh, the knife thing. Yeah. Comes into Elle Fanning's room and inserts a knife into her mouth and basically just inserts it down her throat. And then she wakes up on the floor and somebody's pounding at her door. She locks the door. They move on to the next door where it's established there's a 13 year old runaway. And right. essentially, somebody either assaults and or murders and or rapes the girl in the next room as as Jesse Lissonzon. the Keanu Reeves character, right? Yes, presumably. It's not exactly stated ever. And so she's panicked. She calls Ruby to get her away. Ruby played by Jenna Malone. By Jenna Malone. Jenna Malone then tries to make an advance on Jesse and gets rebuffed. Yes. As soon as that happens, they, she leaves for her job. One of her jobs, which is doing makeup for corpses and proceeds to make up one of the corpses and essentially have sex with the dead female corpse, imagining that it's Jesse. Jesse wakes up in the house that Jenna Malone was took her to to protect her from the crazy hotel. And mm-hmm. then Jenna Malone and her two model friends chase her around the house, kill her, and proceed to eat her and bathe in her blood. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is how the movie ends. And, and then the models, Jenna Malone at one point, as you mentioned prior, basically is under a full moon in a window and gushes out blood like a birth. And then the two models are getting more work, presumably because they have the glow of Jesse inside of them now. Right. Uh, exactly. Having eaten her and one of them can't take it and commits a harikari. Yep. Uh, after spitting out her eye, her whole eye from mm-hmm. her stomach. Mm-hmm. And then the other model eats it and scene. <laughs> so that's yep. the bonkersness that happens. And that's what turns off, I think, 99% of the people that don't like it. I want to know what you felt about it, Seth, because so, I loved it. <laughs> right. So. I should say I'm less of a horror person in general, though, like this sort of horror is not the sort of horror that gets me. I'm more of like, I don't like cheap jump scares and stuff like that. Um, It's it it just is such a hard turn to the kind of absurdist. And 
as one reviewer points, it feels like maybe it's leading there, but it just goes so hard, so fast. It's it's foreshadowed for sure because it open the movie opens with like Jesse modeling up with her throat slashed and in a pool of blood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And one of the models at one at one point, one of the models is licking blood off her palm after breaking a yep. mirror and yep. cutting yep. it. Yeah. Yep. So we'll, it's not we'll it's not that. totally <laughs> out of left field, but it's just it's it's a little absurd for uh, absurdist for my take. I can understand what they're going for. I wasn't like offended by by it, which is why it's kind of it doesn't totally nail the landing for me. And there's some things mm. that I do feel like are kind of director's commentary explanation-y that like they need that to totally work on their own. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, yeah. I I knock it a bit for that. But in general, in general, I have a positive review of this movie, but it just loses me a bit at the end. It's generally because I, I admire all the cinem- cinematography and how it looks enough to mm-hmm. overcome the weird nitpicks but what are your thoughts on the theme theme of this movie um well shoot or what are some of the things that bring the themes that like work thematically in it for you like what works what works like what for you what works what how does the ending nail its landing and that sink in with the theme the ending is weird right because it's dedicated to his wife one of the weird things I learned in the um, commentary is that, like, his wife was actually heavily involved with the movie. Thematically, like, I don't know, there's, like, all these lines, right, that are, like, super on the fucking nose, you know, um, in this movie. And I don't think that's mm-hmm. a problem. I think that's actually kind of, like, funny. Um like when they say, are you food or sex? Right. They're talking about lipstick uh, colors of the bathroom. The girls, they're like all of them either have food names or. Yeah. And then there's a, the other scene in the diner where they uh, say, who who wants sour milk when you can have fresh meat? Yeah. The, the foreshadowing there is in this movie. It is, is there. Not subtle. Um but it's very funny. I I, I dig it actually. Mm-hmm. Um, like they're they're going to eat this girl. <laughs> yeah, I mean, part of the the thematic thing that I think works is it's it this movie again, kind of in the it could be a silent movie, it could be yes. an art piece. Yeah, it's more of like a yes. tone yeah. poem, yeah, to like no, totally. obsession with beauty yeah. than exactly. than a movie. Uh, and you know, it goes off into weird like. Lars Van Turi, Nicholas Winding Refn things, but it is essentially, you know, diving into that beauty world. And, you know, at, at some, at one point there, Jesse's out on the, you know, she's out on a pseudo date with her guy. And she's like, I have no real talent, yeah. but I'm pretty and I can make money off pretty. And it's just kind of, trying to be an examination of that and whether it succeeds, I think is the, the crux of 
where it, of how you come down on this movie. And I think it does enough to succeed that even the, like it does feel very, the movie overall feels very gawky. Like you feel, you feel the El Fanning's character elf. No, I think you, but I'm saying this in a, actually like a positive way. Like the character is being gawked at all the time and you feel that uncomfortableness of being gawked at. You feel that discomfort. But, but both the discomfort and also the acknowledgement, right? Because, like, I think part of the point mm-hmm. of the movie is that she uh, loves the recognition, right? That she is a beautiful um, human being. Mm-hmm. So bringing it kind of home, the theme and the look are all tied together by your number one point, which is so good. the score of this film. Cliff Martinez, the dude. I mean, oh my God. So for those who haven't seen it, how, how would you describe the soundscape of this movie? It's Cliff Martinez, he's like one of the best guys. Synth heavy, really cool stuff. Um so the first time I became aware of him was I was like 14 years old watching AMC on my crappy TV. And I believe Soderbergh's adaptation of Solaris and this soundtrack blew my fucking mind. And I bought it on iTunes back when that was a thing you did. Mm -hmm. And so you've just been a Cliff Martinez fan ever since. And yeah, it's, and also I I should say that you, you've done like electronic music things. So you're not totally unfamiliar with the, with the world. So yeah. So, I mean, and the score for this, a lot of it is at the start. First off, the intro music is very, pumping 80s kind of yeah it's kind of like a modernized version yes. of that like yeah. 80s action in your face just boom 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 and then for most of the mm-hmm. for most of the movie it's kind of this twinkling like star like optimism where you feel like oh this little girl's right making it in the big world the movie's a fairy tale so and then it takes that hard pivot from fairy tale twinkliness yes, yes. to psychological thriller where where the score is doing a bunch of the heavy lifting where it's you know Elle Fanning walking through the uh-huh. halls of this house and there's nothing on the screen that says like this should be yep. super yep. Yep. tense but yep. the yep. score okay. is helping. This is exactly what I wanted to talk about. Um, because I think like Okay, so Drive comes out, right? Big movie. I I saw it twice. Like, great, great film. And Cliff Martinez gets all this, you know, accolades for his soundtrack, which is a great soundtrack. But I think what most people remember from that movie is not actually his songs. It's the needle drops from college and... Kaminsky and and who 
welts, right? So, and then he does the entire score for the next movie. Only did, yeah. Um, which is a it's a good score, not a great movie, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, so for this one, like he nails the score on this one for sure. Yeah, and uh, I I read one thing where in a bloody disgusting interviewed Cliff Martinez, and he said that he thought of the score as a melodrama like Valley of the Dolls, and the second half is like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Was kind of oh, his wow. approach to <laughs> wow. to scoring this. It it's also not constant. They there's plenty of times where it just lets the natural scene breathe where so that it is more effective when the score does come in. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. There's like a lot of like open spaces or like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And the soundscape Uh, isn't cluttered with his score. It's more effective in uh, picking its spots. Yes, exactly. So those are your, defenses for the neon demon and before we get out we'll i I just want to go a couple little junk drawer sort of counters or things that are worth mentioning in the movie there are some weird things in that like the nice guy is the guy who knows he's trying to date a 15 year old okay okay let me talk about this i think one of the things people don't understand about this movie is that all the men are bad people. Mm. And he's one of them, obviously, because he's trying to date a 16-year-old. And he's like, what, like, at least 18, right? right? He, it just, he, he's yeah. the only He's the only male that's presented somewhat sympathetically. So that's, it, right. it does read kind of weird in comparison to the rest where doesn't he try to kiss her he tries to kiss her he does try to kiss her yeah but he also like backs off immediately so it's not good but it's not the other dudes in the movie who are pretty awful one of the things that is just weird to me watching it which i don't quite understand and felt like i needed a little more hand-holding is the very first scene which Jenna Malone is like, cause the Jenna Malone and uh, Ruby and Jesse meet when Jesse is taking off her makeup from the mm-hmm. photo shoot, mm-hmm. the bloody one. Mm-hmm. And Jenna Malone is there, but she didn't do the makeup, but she's, no, that's a good point. it's very, it's a very strange thing that the movie never mentions is that the, Jesse finishes this photo shoot. She goes back into like a makeup room where she's removing it. And then Jenna Malone's just like, they're staring at her through the mirror and being like, Hey, I do makeup. <laughs> it's, it's a very strange, it's just a weird thing where it's worth mentioning that it's never totally established where, why this, why this is what it is. That's very fair. A couple other little points. Yeah. I do think that there is, as mentioned in one of the reviews, I don't totally know if the movie does a great job of establishing that 
why exactly Jesse is the son that everybody is totally drawn to. Mm, mm. Okay, so I have a thought about this, yes. actually. Um, I don't think Jesse is, a, is the the apex, mm-hmm. sort of. Um, I think it's actually um, Abby Lee. I think she's the neon demon because she's the one that consumes the eyeball and and fully becomes this horrible narcissistic being who doesn't know? care that her friend just uh stabbed herself in the stomach because she exactly do it and yeah. all that yeah i think i think that's fair i just there's there's like part of it where like there's a scene in the bathroom where there's the smash mirror where they're like, what does it feel like to be oh, yeah, sure. the like yeah, yeah. sun when everybody's sun. been in the yeah. w- winter all year? And I n- don't necessarily feel like the movie ever totally convinces is convincing in that like why why is she so special? Yeah, it's the why is she so special thing where there's the one scene where the other Gigi has you know she does a lot of plastic surgery like little things and the the designer has her get up and be like see she's not naturally beautiful but right but uh, jesse is but that's like the closest they get to explaining why jesse's just like murdering this i guess maybe it's the fact that she doesn't totally look like other the other models and that's supposed to be the point because right. everybody else is like very like supermodel you, you just have to buy into you the... just yeah it's just kind of a buy-in that it may it asks you to make and you can either make it or you don't two random things that are just funny to me and probably nobody yeah, else I mean... uh one i like to think of this as with the triforce and the columns and all those if this is actually a backdoor uh, Legend of Zelda pilot, and this is what yeah. happens to Zelda every time Ganon takes her away. She just transform. She just gets dropped off in Los Angeles and has to deal mm. with this. And when she dies, she wakes up and she's back in Hyrule. The other thing is, I was thinking, and it's partially just because they kind of look a little bit alike. That I wonder if this is a left field thought that would never happen. Sure. So people don't like this movie, generally speaking. I think Mm -hmm. that if, and again, she would never have done this, but it's just a kind of a similar look to Elle Fanning and she's not an actor, so it wouldn't make sense. But if like Taylor Swift was in the lead role of this movie, (laughs) I think this movie would be treated as like some iconic art, like commentary because it would be like, no, it would be be like a monolith. It would be huge. Right. It would be like, oh, she's, it would be suddenly every layer of like oh self-awareness gets like added to it. Yeah. Yeah. And she like looks enough like the person that El Fanning looks like that it conceivably could have happened. And there's El Fanning's mm-hmm. El Fanning's a good actress in this movie and, and generally good, but there's not enough acting. Like also two of the people are just straight up supermodels that are acting. Yeah. And yes. there's enough not acting that like Taylor Swift could have like been in this movie and it wouldn't be like, oh, Taylor Swift can't act enough to like carry you these five scenes probably. 
because it's no, again a no, part of the visual. She would have been fine. Yeah. So I just imagined, I imagined that movie and how it would have been. I think pretty much all the criticisms would have gone away because it would have been like, oh, Taylor Swift is big enough to be self-aware about this, and so now the commentary right. like lands in a different way. Right. Right. And right. 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 Yeah. I don't know. That was my. That was my one fun thought about. That's a really good thought. <laughs> and it would have been a right period because it would have been Taylor Swift was big enough, but not at her. But she's like pre like breaking out. She, I th- right? Yeah, she, I think she was like she probably at that like time would have been like would have like been arena tours, but not stadium tours. 18, it's like when she like goes like. <sighs> right. So imagine yeah. like this movie dropping with her in the lead then would have been insane would have been insane <laughs> anyway that is the neon demon thank you for coming on jason and uh defending your stance on this very polarizing film is there anything you would like to plug or recommend on the way out oh yes so if you want to know more about nick winding Refn. There's a good documentary on YouTube, and there's a very good documentary by his wife, Liv Corvixen, called uh, My Life, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that covers what we need to get to. Thanks again for coming on again. And reminder, even if everyone else mocks it, love the stuff you love.